Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to Copfather. I am Craig Brumell, along with Danis Coromilis and Randy Jurgensen, real legend with the New York City Police Department. This man's done so much. Randy was involved in a situation in 1972, which he wrote a book about it, and we want to get into it. The book's called Circle of Six, about an incident where a police officer was murdered in New York City. Maybe you can quickly give us a background on what happened, uh, what your involvement was, and uh, where it led to. I, I had a special unit. The chief of detectives gave me five cops, and we were, they don't like this word, they don't use it anymore, but we were hunting cop killers. We were hunting cop killers. In 1971, two police officers by the name of Piagentini and Jones, they were actually set up. They were actually set up and they were executed. Their weapons were taken as souvenirs. In 1972, they did the same thing to Foster and Laurie. These guys were Vietnam vets. One of them had a bronze star. They were black and white, the same as Piagentini and Jones. And all the cops that were going to get killed after that, they were Irish, Italian, black, white. We even had a Spanish one. So it became very, very clear that they were killing cops. They were killing that blue, that magnificent blue uniform. That's what they were doing. So it didn't make a difference what color you are or what nationality you are. If you were a cop, they were killing you. Now, Cardillo, Patrolman Philip Cardillo and his partner, Vita Navarro, were in a radio car. And they got a call that there was a cop in trouble. And he was located, later would learn, was in mosque number seven. And that was Minister Louis Farrakhan's mosque. Now, the people that participated in the beating, they ran from different parts of the mosque. And when they did that, they saw the fighting and pushing and shoving, and it escalated. And during that time, one of them took the cop's gun from the holster. And as he did that, and he brought the gun up, he shot and he killed the cop. The FBI at the time were in big trouble with COINTEL. COINTEL was collapsing all around them. They came up with a new group and it was called New Kill. And we have come across, and this is years and years later, we've come across tapes from the president of the United States, who was Nixon talking to the head of the FBI and the attorney general. And Nixon is saying that they cannot continue to kill cops. And so he's saying to him, Edgar, that, that was Hoover, 
He's calling him Edgar. He says, now, we have to do something to stop this. And Edgar is going back and he's talking to him and he's saying, yes, this is what we're going to do and so forth and so on. And Nixon says, and you know, Edgar, this cannot be traced back to the White House. Oh, no, sir. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Part of New Kill's operation was the following. They would spread rumors out in the street that the Panthers were going to go to war with the Muslims. They would put things out in the street that the only way to identify them and listen to this carefully, make phone calls to cause confusion. Wow. Make phone calls to cause confusion. So now that was New Kill's operation. I've spoken to New Kill FBI agents and that was done. They would call Newton. uh, They would call any one of them and say, you know what we heard? And, and, And don't forget, the FBI has confidential informants. There were five of them in the mosque on that day. So do we suspect that the FBI made that phone call? Yes. Very, very strong that, you know, one of the FBI's confidential informants made that call from inside the mosque. So now I'm sitting with decent information on Twyman Myers, the FBI's most wanted cop killer. So the call comes over and it's a 1013. That's a cop in trouble. So before I could even say, you know, we're all going, the second call came over, shots fired. Now, that was it. So I went. When I got there, these things, these things are important. When I got there, you have to remember, the only thing different about this is that it was the mosque. But this wasn't our first, let's say, dance of reporting to a cop shot. Don't forget, we did it with Piagentini and Jones. We did it with Curry and Benetti. We, uh, we responded to those scenes. So here we're responding to, to something that's not exactly brand new. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. This is not the first time that we're going uh, on a cop shot. So when I, get, when I get there, they took the cop, Phil Cardillo, they took him out and he was on his way to the hospital. And the, and the rest of the cops, uh, the other three or four, were the same thing. The first thing I did was I went in, and this is the scene of where it happened. I saw the blood on the floor. I saw, you know, the blood at the side of the wall. I saw the broken windows where the cops broke the windows and fired shots in. I saw the bullet holes up in the wall. And I was in it virtually in an empty room. All the action was now taking place downstairs. So I went downstairs and I know these cops. Uh, these are cops from the precinct that I work in. And there was a sergeant down there, and they had guys lined up against the wall. Of course, the guys lined up against the wall. They're not going to talk. And none of the cops, they don't know. They don't know if there was one cop shot, two cop shots. They don't know missing guns. There's no information for a detective down there at the time. 
The only information that's going to come, it's going to come from the guys that were in the hallway. And where are they now? They're over in the hospital. So I came back out. And as I came back out, the uniform force was surrounding the mosque. Every six feet, there was a cop there smoking this, that, cursing. And the cops surrounded the mosque. Nobody in, nobody out. So I ran and I had I had my, my, my crew and I told them, stay there, stay there. I went to the hospital and the streets, you know what I mean when I said it began to cook. The streets began to cook. The cars were being rocked. Small little fires, nothing to speak about. Bottles being thrown, you know, literally destroying their own neighborhood, destroying their own streets. So I went into the hospital and it was like a triage. I, I, I went, all these guys were wounded. So the first cop that I saw, he was convulsing and they were trying to hold his leg down. I would learn it was his gun. That was Victor Padilla. It was his gun that was missing. The second cop I went into, he was hysterical and he had his gun out and he was in there. And, you know, and people were saying to me, I said, I'll take care of it. So I went in there, calmed them down. And he put his gun back in his holster and he, he sat down. I went into the third one and that's where I saw uh, Vito Navarra. And Vito Navarra was bleeding. I'm telling you, he's bleeding from the mouth. I thought that we saw blood coming out of one eye. He was bleeding out of the ear, you know, and he was just sitting right there. He was, he was in shock. He was basically in shock. I would later learn that there, there was a bad uh, fracture in his ankle and his ribs were so badly bruised, he couldn't take a deep breath. And the same thing with the other two that, that I passed. Yep. So I said to Vito, I said, Vito, you got to come back with me. And it was a nurse in there. And she says, he's not going anywhere. So I took a towel and I soaked the towel, wrung it out as best I could. And I wrapped it around his face. And I said, let's go. You, you can identify these people. And he said, yes. And so we went out. Now, here's, here's my first encounter. When I went out there, already, there was the police commissioner. The, he says to me, he says, uh, we, we have 116th Street. It's basically under control now. He's talking. I'm not talking. And the mayor is like looking over at some other people, whatever he's doing. But they're standing side by side. And so I said to the police commissioner, I said, well, they're still calling 1013s. I said, you know, and I understand that there's a gun missing. And I went along like that. And I am telling you the truth. The police commissioner turned to me and said, there's no riot there. And the mayor turned and looked at me and he, he was going to say something. And the police commissioner turned back to him and said, no, there's no riot, there's no riot over there. We, we have this under control. And I supposedly said, because I heard about it later on, I supposedly said, whatever. And I walked away and I took the, the, the top and I, I went back. The mosque was surrounded by Muslims, not cops, Muslims. The guys were still in the basement. By then, the chief of detectives had arrived. He was downstairs in the basement. And so now I go in with Vito and I get to the door and the two Muslims tell me, no, you, you can't go in. Now I got a shotgun. And, and I said, well, 
I'm not going in, but he's going in. Are we going to argue about that? And they said no, and they let Vito in there. Now, what I saw when Vito went in there, I saw a guy, and this is the guy that not only locked the door, but this is the guy that took Padilla's gun. He's the one that took the gun. And he's mopping up, mopping up the crime scene, mopping up the blood. That's what he's doing. Wow. From there is where the police department fumbled the ball. Not the cops. Absolutely not. They said you couldn't go in. No, no superior officer, nobody said, yeah, they're going in. This is a crime scene, so forth and so on. Now, the streets were getting so bad. And one of the inspectors get up there and they get on the emergency service truck and over the bullhorn. And they said, all white cops leave the area. All white cops leave the area. All cops that are not in this command report back to your command. That left 12 cops. Well, I left. I went up to the corner and on my radio, I get a call by name, Randy Jurgensen, Jurgensen, come, come back here. It was the inspector. That was the command inspector. I got back there and he says, look, you and your team, you got to take the roofs. Look what they're doing. They're going to kill somebody. They're dismantling the, the chimneys, the bricks, they're coming down. So we go up and we take the stairs and we took it like in the military operation. When I took the first ending, I left the cop with two guns pointed down so that nobody could follow us up. And when I got to the second landing, I took the cop that was on the first landing, pulled him back up there and left him to guard the second landing. And we got up there. We went up on the roof. Now, as soon as we went out on the roof, these were kids. As soon as we went up on the roof, they ran like hell. And once they ran and the bricks stopped and I looked over on the side, that's when the street really got swollen with people. They felt that they could come out there and do it. And guess what? One of the cars that they turned over and set on fire was mine. My, my, my <laughs> of course, car. of course. So, <laughs> so um, now up comes an inspector. He comes up there with a cop and he comes up with uh, two men that are in Dashiki. And the cop comes over to us. We're standing on, we're standing on one side of the roof. Now behind the inspector now is coming 10 people, 12 people, 20 people, and they're all spreading out behind the inspector. None of them are cops. And they're all spreading out behind there. And definitely, we're definitely now badly outnumbered up on the roof. And he sends the cop over to us. There's a good distance between us and him. And he sends the cop over. And the cop says, uh, you know, we have to search you uh, for weapons. And I said to the cop, what? We're going to search you for the weapons. Now, I had legally signed out the shotgun. Yes, I altered the shotgun. I sawed it down so it would fit under my coat. I had a strap on it so it hung on my shoulder. And we had a semi-automatic carbine from the police department. We were at war with the Black Liberation Army. That was the weapons that we needed. There was no such thing as a Glock. There were no vests. There were no radios. You were out there on your own against these guys. So... When it came time for him to come over to me and I had the shotgun, I took the shotgun and I broke it down, but I kept the part that had the nomenclature, that had the numbers on it. I kept it and I gave them the, the shotgun. 
and we turned over the carbine. We turned it over. And once that happened, he turned with the cop, turned and walked downstairs. And now we're up on the roof, what I'd say 20, 25 people. The helicopter is wheeling over there. I swear to God, I thought it was back in Korea. The, 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 the helicopter is waving over there. I waved the helicopter off. The dust was flying up. And so now we got to leave. I led going down the stairs. We made it to the first landing. And then after that, somebody threw a can. And the can hit one of them or whatever it was. And all hell broke loose. During that time, I suffered uh, uh, a human bite. Uh, there, there were bloody noses with the guys and everything. But we managed to get out into the street. And when I got out into the street, they had a rope. And they were trying to put the rope around one of the cops. Were they going to hang him? Were they, they were going to do? Don't forget, there are no cops in the street. We're on our own. Mm -hmm. There was only 12 black cops. And they were standing down on the corner while this was going on. The bus was rocking. So we made it into a radio car. And there was like three of us got into the radio car. And an ash can came right through the windshield. It sounded like an explosion, you know. So we got out of the radio. And as I'm going past the radio car, the guy got on the roof and that's when he let the, the brick go. And that was really the end of it for me. While we're in the hospital, the police commissioner and Ben Ward, Ben Ward would later be the first black police commissioner in the New York Times. Right. They publicly apologized to Minister Louis Farrakhan for the behavior of the police because Minister Farrakhan said it was an invasion. They brought into the UN of the invasion of the cops into, into the mosque. So it was in the UN. That case made it into the UN. So my father came to me one day and he said to me, the cop's going to die. He's, he's not going to make it. And so I called my good friend, Jimmy Arricchio. And so I told him, you know, Jimmy, come on bring me some clothes. And he came down, I put my clothes on and I walked down the hall and I literally said goodbye to Phil Cardello. So he died. I went to the funeral. And of course, nobody, nobody from the mayor or the, or the police commissioner showed up at the funeral. They broke a, I don't know how many year tradition it was. I have no idea. The case was bleeding out. And what it really looked like is that the police department circled the wagons, but they were firing in instead of firing out. Guys were leaving. Guys were quitting. You couldn't get detectives that would stay on the case. On April the 14th, a year later, they were going to go out on strike. 30,000 cops were going out. That's what this case did. Wow. They were going to go out on strike. So I get a call to go down to uh, one, uh, one PP. Back then, we called it the Puzzle Palace. So I went down there, and I have a meeting. I'm telling you the truth. I have a meeting, and it takes place on the second floor in a bathroom. In a bathroom. And there's an inspector who I admire very much, a very, very good guy. It had to be him that convinced me to do this. So I met with him in the bathroom, and we had a cop. And the cop stood outside, and he didn't let anybody in the bathroom. And he just, just sadly said, he said, look, Randy, you, you've got some friends upstairs. And I turned to him, I said, I seriously doubt it. 
He says, but you've got some friends up there. He says, they, they, they know the work that you have done here. They know the work that you have done. And they also know what the chief of detectives, Seidman, thought about you. He really thought, thought about you, although Seidman was no longer on the job. And I turned to him and I said, what's up? And he said, they want you to take the Moss case. And that's what they called it at the time. I said, the Moss case? And he said, yes, the Philip Cardillo case. We want you to take the case. You're going to be the detective on the case. Now, it's not so hard to figure out that this happened in Harlem, that all the Harlem cops are crazed over this. They're all after the bosses who didn't allow a crime scene, who took the cops out of here, and who did that. And that's their, that's their beat. And th the commanding officer of the 2-8 has quit. Nobody wants to be the commanding officer of the 2-8. So it's very, very simple to see that if you put Jurgensen, who's right from there and is respected, I mean, you know, I respected the cops and so forth. No problem with that. So it's very, very easy to see, give me the case. You give me the case, it's, it's highly improbable, if that's the word, that they're going to go out on strike, that they're going to do it. That, no, Jurgensen's on the case. And you judge, you know, don't forget, I got hurt there that day and this, that, and everything else. So I said, uh, all right. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take the case. And I met with an inspector who would become my nemesis. If these people thought that I was going to play ball, you're much, much mistaken. I dedicated myself for four years to catch a cop killer. That's what I did. And any one of the detectives that I worked with, they would have done the same thing. So although they think that they put out one fire, you know, I'm not going to say I created another one, but you bet your sweet ass I did. <laughs> I did. On the on the, the six cops that were shot, Piagentini and Jones, Curry and Benetti, Foster and Lord, Stewart and Plate, it, it took years, but we, we caught them all and we convicted them all and they all went to jail. Mm -hmm. Nobody went to jail over the Cardillo case. So you can see how different that case was and why the cops were hell-bent on getting the bosses that removed them and this, that, and everything else. Minister Louis Farrakhan was constantly out there, constantly in the papers, and nobody from the other side, which would be the commissioner or an inspector or anybody, nobody was saying different. Nobody was saying different. I learned that if a lie is told enough times, it'll be believed. I'm telling you, by the time I went to trial, it definitely was the New York City Police Department invaded mosque number seven. And I had to disprove that. One of the things that I did, if you're if you're having a plan that you're going to invade the mosque and you have two Spanish cops that don't even know the, 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 the first two cops that went in there. Well, what kind of a plan is that? What, what kind yeah. of an invasion is that? They don't even know each other. You know what I'm saying? So I, I did disprove that. What happened at the trial the district attorney's opening speech to, to, to the jurors said who he was putting on trial today was the New York City Police Department. He put the New York City Police Department on trial. 
And by doing that, he showed what we couldn't do, what we couldn't do this, we couldn't do the other thing. But what we had in the end was one eyewitness. Could I sway him in that two years? Could I do whatever it was going to do? You know, so he had to dismantle all of that. And of course, at the time, it was five weeks, the longest trial, et cetera, and so forth. And they came back 10 to 2, hung, 10 to 2. The bottom line is, the story is a New York City detective working with a, a black Muslim by the name of Foster 2X Thomas broke the Moss case. That's, that's who broke the Moss case. The white detective and the black Muslim. It's probably the best story I've ever heard, Randy. With everything I know, this is the one that's always stuck out with me. My friend, thank you so much. Phenomenal. And uh, we're going to we're gonna do this again. Talk about all the other stuff and have some laughs. Thanks, thank Randy. You. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.